0: So tonight we're going to continue with our series, Ready for Revival, and continue to dive into this idea of revival, which is just a word that describes a time or really a movement in which God uh, moves and a lot of people come to know God. Last week, Pastor Derek talked about having a hunger for God and how through our pursuit of God's presence, we'll see God move in a powerful way. So today, uh, we're going to be reading through the book of 2 Corinthians. If you want to pull out your Bibles or your phones or whatever it is that you have, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21. Um, If you don't, it'll be on the screen. So uh, 2 Corinthians is just a letter written by a guy named Paul, who was a church planter. And if you didn't know, he wrote a good portion of the New Testament, um, or a lot of the books in the New Testament. Uh, And 2 Corinthians specifically was a a letter written to a church in Corinth. So to give you some context behind uh, the letter, the church was located in Corinth, which at the time was like an ancient version of Las Vegas. Ancient version of Las Vegas. Paul had spent two years of his life planting and leading this church. But as he left to continue planting other churches in different parts of the world, The Corinthian church began to experience several issues. False teachers tried to deceive the congregants or the people who were in that church. Some of the members in that church started to struggle with deep sin issues. The church leadership at the time felt lost. Paul was now gone, and we have no idea what we're supposed to do when it comes to this matter or this issue. It's so much more. Paul then begins getting reports on all the things that are happening within this church, so as a response, he writes First and Second Corinthians, hoping that he could address some of these issues. So again, we're going to be reading in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. And again, it'll be on the screen. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So let's pray. Jesus, I pray that your spirit would move so tangibly in this room. God, that you would be speaking through my words, that it would be your words, and that you would be opening up hearts to hear what you have to say. So God, we pray that you'd be with us, and uh, just bless this night. We pray this all in your name. Amen. So in the late 15th century... A Japanese ceramic technique known as, and if you're Japanese, I'm so sorry, kintsugi, I think it's how it's pronounced, emerges as a popular way to repair broken ceramic pottery, such as bowls, cups, vases. Essentially, the way that it works is that you take pottery that has been broken into pieces and then you mend them together with lacquer or a kind of, this kind of specific adhesive that has been mixed with powder, gold, silver, or platinum. And I believe we have some images. No, we do not. That's awesome. If you want to look, know what it looks like, you can go ask Drayton DeBoof. He has a tattoo on his right arm. But essentially, you can see he's holding it up. That's great. Okay. So you can see the vases and you can see like lines of gold running through it. One thing we have to understand is that repairing ceramic with this kind of technique was time consuming, right? And it probably took some skill and some work. It probably would have been way easier for us, for them to just go to the market and get a new bowl and get a new cup and get a new vase, right? Because clay was dirt cheap. But That wasn't the point. Japanese culture had a philosophy philosophy that didn't try to hide away from imperfection or brokenness, but it rather embraced it. The purpose of kintsugi was to show that broken things could not only be repaired and made whole again, right, putting the bowl back together, but they could also be beautiful and still serve a purpose. The ceramics could not only be put back together— but they would be put back together with gold, which doesn't try to hide or conceal what had happened, but rather it emphasizes this is exactly where the break happened. It's such a really powerful concept. On the flip side, our world, society, culture, it's not very good at handling brokenness or imperfection, right? There are two sides of the extreme that are so common. One side will look at this broken bull and says, that's it. There's no hope for this bull left. There's no way to repair it. And quite honestly, I don't want to put in the work to fix it. You might as well just throw it out, forget about it, move on to the next thing. On this side, we can take an attitude of pessimism and hopelessness to translate this into real world problems. The rise of divorce has been crazy. I think in, up in the latest statistics are like 50% or more. One in two people, one in two couples will end up in divorce. Marriages will end in divorce. Many people have opted into this idea that if your marriage isn't working out or maybe you just don't click with your spouse anymore, maybe the flame is gone, the solution more often than not is just get a divorce. End it, cut it, and move on to the next thing. It's been so, it becomes so much easier to quit things or throw away things and move on. On the other hand, there's this other spectrum that sees the broken bull and it tries to say, you are a broken bull. And in pieces, you just need to accept that's what you are and you'll be happy. Recently, there has been more and more of a celebration of being broken and not whole. Now hear me, I understand the heart behind it, right? We're trying to get people to not have such a negative self-view, but the bowl is still broken, right? You can try to paint it a different color. You can change the room that you put it in. You can call it a working bowl, but at the end of the day, it's still broken, right? And so I think a lot of us in this room have thought of ourselves in one of these two ways, some of us in this room have made some serious mistakes throughout our lives. We've done things that we regret, we've hurt people, we've said words we shouldn't have, we've taken, we've been taken advantage of, we've failed, we've fallen, we have scars, and we view ourselves so poorly. We think we have no value and no worth. And we look at ourselves, and we're just a broken bull. There's no fixing, there's no making it better. It's just always going to be broken. And then we we look at God and we say, I'm a broken bowl. I can't offer you anything, God. I've screwed up way too much. I've made too many mistakes. I'm just going to accept that that's what I'll always be. You'll never forgive a person like me. All of, of, of us have experienced this same kind of brokenness, But instead of dealing with the pieces, we've just decided the brokenness is just who I am. And we try to cope or mask the problem. We've accepted our flaws. We know that we're messed up and we've failed, but we just say, well, that's who I am. We've normalized brokenness. Isn't that insane? We've made being not whole normal. In society, you can say, I'm a promiscuous person. I like to sleep around. It's just who I am. I like to have fun. Maybe it's not good, but that's just who I am. Or I'm an angry person. I like to blow up on people. I treat people poorly, but it's just who I am. And you just got to adapt to it. I can't help it. All of us deep down inside know that there's something wrong, but because we'd rather not deal with it, we don't ever turn to God. Both of these situations have the same issue. Deep down inside, we are broken and longing to be healed. And I am here to tell you tonight that you don't have to stay that way. You don't have to feel like your life is in pieces. You are not too far gone, nor do you have to hide yourself from God. God is in the business of repairing things to show off his glory, but also still use you to accomplish his will. Kintsugi was invented in around the 15th century. God was in the business of repairing people way, way before that. And I promise you, you can do something in your life. So with all that in mind, what does scripture have to say? Let's go back to our text. So tonight, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna break down the passage that we just went over into three different sections. And I'm gonna guide us through this journey in what I call the road of Restoration the road of restoration. I want to help you walk down this road and make certain stops along the way. And throughout the night, what I'll do is I'll use my own story because this text is meaningful to me and it's important to me. And so I want to help you to see how it applies, not only to your life, but how it helped mine. So we'll start our journey in 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 6, or verse 16. So it says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So to break down this passage, to make it more understandable for you guys, when Paul is referring to the flesh, he's referring to the part of us that is apart from God or who we are apart from God's will. Hopefully that makes sense. In other words, he's saying in the past, we used to see things or more specific, see things from an earthly or human perspective. Essentially, when we look through the lens of the flesh, we categorize people in different ways based on just what we can see or what is tangible. When we regard people in the flesh, we boil them down to a certain adjectives or titles. They're only what we can see. And the world has trained us to think that this is the correct form of thinking. It has trained us to think that no matter what matters, is your outward appearance, your material wealth, or your status. People are what they do for a living. People are the sum of their actions. If they've done a lot of good actions, they are good. If they've done a lot of bad actions, they are bad. People are how much money they make. People are how many likes on social media they get. People are their political views. So when we regard people in the flesh, we point at people and say, that person's a liberal. That person is a banker. That person I don't like because X. And we only see a very, very, very physical uh, perspective. How many people in this room have seen Parks and Recs? It's a great show. If you haven't seen it, I'm so sorry for you. I encourage you, go home and watch it. But in season four, there's this episode called Comeback Kid. In the episode, one of the main characters, Leslie is running for city council and looking for a way to boost her ratings and to get more votes. And to do that, she asks hometown hero named Pete Decilio, who became a legend in his town by winning a basketball game by a last second dunk. And she wants him to endorse her campaign. So they meet with Pete and they talk about it. And he says, yeah, I'll endorse you. But don't associate the campaign, don't associate me with basketball. I don't want to talk about it. I'm just Pete. The town constantly brings up that game. Whenever he walks around, people point at him and say, Pistol Pete, because that's his nickname. And everybody calls him Pistol Pete, Pistol Pete. And wherever he goes, whenever people try to use him, they want to talk about the slam dunk that he had. And the game was almost 20 years in the past. Even though it was a huge accomplishment at the time, right? I'm sure anybody would like to have the game-winning dunk. People respect Pistol Pete. They love him. in that episode, Pete DeCilio is just Pistol Pete. It's goofy saying, but he's just Pistol Pete. Every time someone looks at him, that's Pistol Pete. I don't care what his college career was like. I don't care what he does for a job. I don't care what things he's, he's struggling with. That's Pistol Pete, the guy who won the game against Eagleton in 1992. Now, that sounds great, but throughout the show, we see that it has, and of course, I'm exaggerating because it's a comedy show, but He has major issues with it because he can't walk around without anyone bringing up the basketball game. No one cares to ask him about his family. No one cares to ask him about how his job is going. No one cares to ask him about what things he's struggling with. He's just Pistol Pete, the guy who won the game against Eagleton in 1992. Now, what if you're known not by a great accomplishment, but what if you've messed up big time? What if you didn't reach the potential everyone thought you would? What happens when we fall into sin or temptation? We grasp onto it and we say, I'm a failure. I'm a screw up. I'm not good enough. It leaves us feeling broken inside and feeling as if there's no hope for our future. We lose any sense of value and worth. And this brings us to the first stop of our road of restoration. We need a new perspective. We need a new perspective. So what does Paul tell us about this? What can we learn from him? Paul wasn't any different from us, and he wasn't immune to this way of thinking, right? He's the one that wrote that passage. Paul was actually alive during Jesus' earthly ministry, and most likely had heard about who Jesus was. And if you read through the book of Acts, you'll find that Paul was actually strongly opposed to Jesus and the people who followed him. He persecuted Christians, he sent people to jail, he hurt people, and he even murdered people. In his eyes, again, according to the flesh, Jesus was just this crazy man. He had unbelievable claims, he was doing all these things, but he's just a man. And then if you continue reading through the book of Acts, Paul encounters Jesus in a powerful way, and it completely changes everything. When he saw Jesus for who he was, It was the start of something powerful in his life. When Paul Paul was able to see Jesus not only as a man, but as God incarnate, meaning God as a man who came down to die for our sins, it reoriented Paul's life. He could no longer look at himself in the same way because now he saw what God saw. Even though Paul wasn't walking in God's will, And he was far from where God wanted him to be. God could see there was more to Paul than even Paul could see. And he had a plan for his life. And this absolutely wrecked Paul. It changed the trajectory of his life. There are a lot of opinions out there and viewpoints about who Jesus is. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of different things, right? But it can be so easy to sell for the wrong one. Some people view him as just a historic figure who was a man who lived and then died. Others view him as a wise character in a fictitious story, kind of like a Yoda. Some even view him as a good self-help coach. He has a lot of good ideas. And if you take some of them and apply in your life, you'll have a better life. But when you see Jesus for who he really is, and when you tune into his vision for your life and the life of those around you, it changes things. You see, Jesus doesn't just see how much money you make. He doesn't just see how successful you are in your career or how good grades you have. He doesn't see how many likes you have on Instagram or TikTok. What Jesus looks at and what he uh, focuses on is our hearts. And that's what matters to him. To take it a step further, Jesus can see beyond your current season. What I mean by that is if in this moment you feel far from God or in this moment you don't see God's will in your life or in this moment you haven't felt God's presence in your life, God can see beyond that. God looks at you and doesn't view you as a complete failure or loss. He has a plan for your life. Now, I would argue that if you're in this room And if you have an incorrect view of yourself, if you think poorly of yourself, if you have all these negative thoughts about yourself, you think you're worthless, you aren't good enough, you're too much of a sinner, it's because you have an incorrect view of who Jesus is. So if you want to start the path of restoration, if you want to go on this journey, you can start by getting a new perspective. You can start off by seeing Jesus as he is, as a savior of the world, as a father figure, as a close friend, as a mentor, as a healer, as a gentle shepherd, as a guide for your life. To have the right perspective ourselves, we need the right perspective of Jesus. So today I want to talk about, a little bit about my journey with, this, with being restored. So I've shared my story a little bit before. I've shared it from the church and also a few months ago. But if you don't know, I grew up mainly religious, um, and I was usually involved in some kind of church. This meant that I had gotten pretty used to all the church norms. Uh, I knew most of the major Bible stories that you'll hear in Sunday school. I knew the basic gospel story because I had heard it a million times. I served most Sundays on the worship team. It was all routine for me. And this was the story for most of my life. Fast forward to the first year of college, I pack everything up, and I had you and I come here to get my degree. And during the first couple of months that I was here, I got involved with Chi Alpha. If you didn't know, Pastor Derek was actually my small group leader. And I started to kind of advance in my faith. I started to grow. I started to learn more about Jesus. I started getting involved in the community, so on and so forth. And then a few months later, I get involved in an unhealthy relationship. And when I mean healthy, I mean in almost every sense of the word, unhealthy. We had bad sexual boundaries We constantly fought. We didn't honor the Lord with our relationship. Jesus was not the main focus of our relationship at all. I found myself drifting away from God. And eventually, I was in a deep, deep pit of shame and and sin. At this point, I had no consistent quiet time with, with God, meaning I didn't read my Bible, I wasn't praying. Worship was just music that I listened to because it was something to listen to. I told everyone around me that I was doing great. Thumbs up. Life is good for me. But deep down inside, I was broken. I was lying to everyone and saying that, no, I wasn't, I'm not doing this. I'm, I'm good. Me and Jesus are good. But then, eventually, everything came to the light. Pastor Daniel, who is now the pastor of St. Church, and Pastor Derek, found out about all all, all the things that I was doing. And if you want to hear a fun story, you should ask him about it, how he came to tell me that he found out. It's a really good story. But they they asked me to meet with him, with them in their house, and, and walk through what had happened. And so I go to Derek's house, and if you've ever been in Derek's house, he has two couches that are like this. So I sit right here, Pastor Daniel's right there, Pastor Derek's right here. And we start going through all the details, trying to figure out what happened and uh, how we got to this point. And during that meeting, I'm just crying, full of shame, regret, all of these different negative emotions. I can't even lift my face to look them in the eyes because I'm just so ashamed of what I've done. And uh, we talk and we figure things out. And uh, there comes a point where I don't even really know what happened, but I, I was just deep, deep, like just... I hated myself, and I had regret and all these different things. Tears streaking down my face, hands in, uh, my face in my hands. And Pastor Daniel, like I said, he's over here. He gets up, and he walks. And it's kind of like this, and he sits down on the floor in front of me. Crisscross applesauce. He's 25, a grown man, and he sits right in front of me. And he picks up my face. He makes me look him in the eyes, and he says, Victor... I want you to know that I will never look at you differently than the first day that I met you. And that, in that moment, after 20-something years of being a Christian, I found new perspective. I saw all that Jesus was saying to me because in that moment, Jesus knew all of it. Jesus knew all the sins that I committed. He knew all the things that I lied about before Daniel and Derek knew. And he counted it all up together and still he looked at me and said, there's more. There's more for your life. So find new perspective. I promise you there is more than what you can see right now. So once we have new perspective, where do we go next? Let's continue on to the sec- second stop of our journey. So if we keep moving on our passage, we'll go to verses 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting them to us, the message of reconciliation. So, once Paul got to see who Jesus really was, right, the Savior of the world, it drastically changed his life. Everything changed. A door It's like a door opened up in front of him, and he could see on the other side of the door this new, boundless life. And all he had to do was walk through it. So once you have a new perspective, and you can understand and see Jesus for who he really is, you have to step into a new reality. Once you find new perspective, you have to step into the new reality. So there's this old story about a businessman in London who was selling a warehouse that he owned. The warehouse had been abandoned for several years, and so there were several issues with the building. A lot of the windows had been broken. Uh, People had broken into the warehouse and vandalized it. They had graffiti all over the place. They had left garbage all over the place. There was rust everywhere. There were structural issues and so much more. One day, he received a call from another businessman who said he was interested in buying the warehouse and that he would like to see it. The owner, excited, ecstatic that someone is going to purchase this warehouse even though it's a piece of garbage. He says, yes, let's meet uh, and I'll show you the property. As the two come together, to inspect the property, they walk around, and they look at the different things. The owner is, is trying to show the buyer, "Hey, look, there's all, all this wide open space. Uh, you can do things here, there's potential for here." But through it, he has to show all the flaws, right? Because he has to walk over to this space and there's a broken window, so he kind of has to, you know, finagle his way around. The owner knew there were several problems with the property, and anybody would be crazy to buy it, but he needed to sell it. So, out of desperation, he gets to the end of the meeting, and the buyer is emotionless. He has a blank face. He hasn't really said much. He's kind of just been examining everything. And so the the owner says, you know, I know it doesn't look that great in shape, but I'd be more than happy to fix the windows. I'll paint over all the walls. Like, I'll I'll bring a crew in, and I'll get rid of all the garbage. I'll fix some of the issues that you can see. I'll, I'll, I'll get it done. And the buyer looks at him straight face, doesn't say anything, a completely emotionless face, thinks about it for a little bit, and he says, forget the repairs. When I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different. I don't want the building. I want the site. And this is the new reality that God is offering when we become a new creation. That's what Paul was saying when we become a new creation. He uses this phrase because when God brings you to himself, when you enter in a relationship with Jesus, he wants to make you something new. He wants to not give you a modified version of who you are. He doesn't want to mix a half and half version. He wants to make you completely brand new. When you see, you see when Jesus transformed you into a new creation, it isn't something that God is doing for you. It's something that God is doing in you. He's not helping you become a better version of yourself, nor is he helping you get morally better or helping you turn over a new leaf. A new reality means that life has been remade and now centered around Jesus. Everything changes. Our way of thinking, our purpose in life, our desires, our dreams, how we treat others, Others, how we deal with problems, how we handle stress. So what is God asking of you and I? He's asking for the site and he's asking for permission to build. He doesn't want you to pretty up the walls. He doesn't want you to fix the windows. He doesn't want you to make all the repairs. He says, give me the site and I'll build something. There has to be a moment where we decide that Jesus will now be our all and that we're gonna wholeheartedly commit to following him no matter how difficult it gets. We have to make a decision to say, Jesus, I trust you with my life. To add to that, he adds a second part and it says the old has passed away, meaning that in this new reality, we are called to let go of our old ways our old lives. Not only does that mean that we have to let go of the past, but God also lets go. It means that we look at our past and we recognize what we did and we recognize where we've been, but in Jesus, that's not who we're gonna be. It's who you were, but it's not who you're gonna be. So practically what it means when you enter into this new life with Jesus, when God remakes you and and you become a new creation, we don't act like we used to. We don't talk the same way. We don't handle conflict that we did in the past. We don't watch or listen to the same things that we used to in the past. We don't want the same things that we used to. So when you come to Jesus, there has to be a tangible change in your life. So thinking back to the moment, if you're in this room, if you've been in the church or whatever, it's, if you've been following Jesus for a while, think back to that moment where you said, Jesus, I wanna follow you. And if your life looks exactly the same way, Before that decision, something is not matching up. Jesus wants to restart brand new, new mentality, new dreams, new desire, new focus. Jesus wants to make us a new creation. To step in our new reality, we have to step out of our old reality. We have to make the decision to walk through the door. We have to make that first decision. To go back to my story, after I had that powerful encounter with Jesus, right, with Daniel, who sat right in front of me. It began to radically change my heart and what I wanted for my life. Before my life was really about getting a nice job with a great salary. And eventually I wanted a nice house and I wanted to have a lot of vacations and go travel all the world. That was the centerpiece, that was my focus. I wanted to do things that would accomplish my dreams. And at the same time, I had grown so accustomed, meaning I got so used to having sin in my life that I became numb to it. I no longer felt convicted about things. I was perfectly okay with sin eating away at my life, me doing terrible things, me saying bad things, me watching bad things, so long as I got something out of it. Afterwards, when I met Jesus, And I don't say this. Hopefully you hear me. I'm not saying that I've arrived and I'm here and you're down here. But what I am saying is after I met Jesus, my life centered around him. Every little decision as something as small as God, do I take this class? Do I not take this class? Or something as small as God, I'm looking around. Should I talk to someone today? Everything in my life, I I just couldn't help but invite God into the conversation. All my problems, I'd say, God, what do you think about this? And my goals of becoming successful and popular and having a lot of money and going on dream vacations and saving up for an amazing new car, all of those things started to dim away from the forefront of my mind. During this time, I didn't share this part in my story, but to get to the specifics, at the time, I had been dealing with a pornography addiction that had lasted over 10 years of my life. Over 10 years. And no matter what I did, I couldn't break from it. But during this time, Jesus started to break it for me. At one point in my life, I thought, I'm just gonna be a porn addict for the rest of my life and there's nothing I can do about that. And God, he made me a new creation. And the same is applicable, same can be for you. So please, I encourage you, if you're in this second stop, if, if Jesus has been calling out to you, step through the door. I promise you, you won't regret it. So now moving on to the third section. How do we practically apply all of this? So we're gonna go to our last uh, part of the text. So it's gonna be 2 Corinthians twenty or 5, 20 through 21. And it says this, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul wraps up this section with kind of giving this action step. Once your eyes have been opened and you get this new perspective, then you step into this new reality God wants to give you a new mission. God wants to give you a new mission. So if you go from the road, first you start off by getting a new perspective. God wants you to see the potential that he sees in you. And then you move on to when the door's open, here's a life, abundant life. All you have to do is step through the door. And the final stop is you have to have, God gives you a new vision, a new mission, I'm sorry. So what is this mission that Paul is talking about? Our mission is to carry a message. The message says, and he explains it a little bit in the first few verses, the message says that God has sent his son Jesus to reconcile himself back to himself. And in Jesus, we can become the righteousness of God. The best way I can explain this reconciliation part, when two people are getting a divorce, there are two parties, right? The man and the woman, right? Right? They're getting a divorce because the two parties are irreconcilable, right? It means they can't get back together. They can't figure out. And so what they're choosing to do is to just be apart. But then someone comes in the middle, right? And they work out the divorce. In our sin, in the ways that we've walked away from God, it separates us. And it doesn't just put us like here to here. It's a vast gap in between. And the message of reconciliation is that Jesus stepped in the gap and he brought us back together. And so our mission is to go around telling people that God loves them and that through Jesus, they can also be reconciled. It is to say that when you start off here and you get a new perspective and you become a new creation, that should help you to see that the message is so powerful that you then wanna go on and tell everyone else. If you didn't know, this is where the phrase Chi Alpha comes from. Chi Alpha, if you didn't know, we're not a fraternity and we didn't steal it from a fraternity. It's just the Greek letters C and A and it stands for Christ Ambassadors. So if you notice, and as I was saying earlier, the last section begins with a therefore, meaning this a Christ Ambassador is a result or a direct consequence of new creation. And therefore, it's also found in that passage, is a direct result or consequence of someone who has a new perspective. It all works together. The start of the road of restoration first begins by having a new perspective and then transition into what God wants to do in you. So he concludes this whole point by saying, But God has reconciled you. He has restored you. He has renewed you so that he can bring reconciliation, restoration, and renewal through you. What God has done in us, he wants to do through us. If God has truly done something powerful in our lives, if he has saved us from spending eternity apart from him, this should stir something up in our hearts. Where well, we're motivated to see more and more people be reconciled to God. If we want to see God bring revival, what we've been talking about this entire time to our campus, we have to see that God doesn't want to just heal you from your past. Yes, He wants to do that, but He doesn't want to just heal you and put you on the sidelines. He wants to heal you, make you whole, and throw you into the game because there are other people who need to know Him. Paul uses the word ambassador, which means representative meaning God has given us the responsibility to represent him to other people. We carry the message to people and we will represent Jesus to them. So, and we're gonna finish up here really quickly. So I just have three quick practical points that you can do. So what does being an ambassador practically look like? How can you be Chi Alpha? Number one is you have to prioritize our relationship with God. In governments, ambassadors have to stay in constant communication with the country they're from and the government officials from that place. So they know what they're supposed to communicate and have important information, right? If you're an ambassador to the U.S. and you live in Germany, you obviously have to talk to people in the U.S., right? It makes sense. Would an ambassador be able to do his or her job well if they just decided to stop communicating with their host country? It's a pretty resounding no, right? It's the same way with us and God. We cannot be effective ambassadors. We can't be effective uh, message carriers if we're distant from God. We have to be on the same page. We have to make sure that we're actually representing God in the way that he wants to be represented. So this means we have to prioritize the daily devotional time in scripture and prayer. And if you don't have one of those, I highly, highly encourage you to talk with your small group leader or to one of the staff members, and we would love to help you set that up. But during this time, you can just spend... uh, time reading scripture, praying, asking what God wants to speak into your life. And we have to learn to listen to God's voice instead of always asking and not letting him speak. If we don't give God the opportunity to speak the message or to give us the details of our assignment, we'll just start making assumptions and jeopardize what God is trying to do to people. So we need to prioritize spending time with God. Second thing is we pursue holiness and godly character. Being an ambassador to another country means that you represent your country's values, cultures, beliefs, and so much more. It's not something to be taken lightly, and it's a huge responsibility because when the people of the host country, right, if you're an ambassador of the U.S. and you're living in Germany, the Germany people will look at you and say, you are representing the U.S., right? They're not looking as you, this one specific person. They're seeing the U.S. as a whole, right? Right? This is why ambassadors have to have character and integrity because if they don't, they'll ruin the whole image of the home country. In our situation, in our context of what we're talking about right now, you and I are not representing a world government, but rather the God of the universe. And here's the hard truth. Did you know that you might be the only representation of Jesus to someone in your class, your work, your friends, or your family group, whatever it is, you might be the only chance they get to hear about Jesus. And your behaviors, and your words, and your actions, and the way that you carry yourself, they think, well, that's who Jesus is. If you're not set apart, if you're not holy, if you're not pursuing what God has for your life, they'll think, well, that's, that's not different than who I am. That's not any different than what I know. But if you're holy, if you try to seek after Jesus' face, if you're different from them, if you don't say the same words they do, if you listen to different music, if you don't watch bad movies or whatever it is, They'll look at you and say, what is so different about you? And that gives a perfect doorway to the gospel, right? So as an ambassador, Jesus is asking you to pursue holiness and to have integrity and have good character because the burden is heavy. Someone else is depending on your representation of Jesus. Last thing, and then we'll be done here really shortly. I'll close in a second. We have to stay focused on the mission. Once we become ambassadors, it can be really easy to lose sight of the mission. It can be really easy to be caught up in all the things that are important, but to stop doing what we're called to do. What I mean by that is, it's great to spend time reading scripture, praying, being with Jesus friends, going to church, going to Kai Alpha, going to small group. All of those things are really, really important things, and please don't stop doing them. But we don't want to get caught up so much in doing them that we stop doing, that we stop being missional. Being an ambassador. Is not just a title, it's a responsibility. So keep doing all of the Jesus things, but at the same time, continue to talking to your friends in class at work. Keep having intentional conversations, keep inviting people, go out and pray for strangers, pray about world missions, give to missions or missions organizations. Don't lose sight. Or stay focused on the mission. So the main idea is the road of restoration. It leads to revival. The road of restoration leads to revival. So maybe you're in here and you're feeling overwhelmed, unequipped or unworthy. Or maybe you just feel like, I don't know, I feel hesitant about the mission. Maybe you're thinking in your head, you have no idea what I was doing a few weeks ago. Last week, or even last night, I've messed up too bad. Maybe you're in here and you had a bad break. You went home and you fell back into some sin habits, or maybe you weren't reading your Bible or praying. And maybe you're thinking, there's no way God can use someone like me. I'm not smart enough or charismatic or extroverted enough. Maybe you're in here and you look at the 10,000 students on campus And it seems like this huge mountain in front of you. And you think there's no way I can reach all of these people. It's way too much. I want to share the last part of my story. In the fall of 2020, I'm not that old, graduating in 2020, so I might look old, but I'm not. I began my internship with Chi Alpha. And at the time there were three total interns, Uh, Lexi, who is my wife and at the time was my girlfriend Chloe which is another close friend of ours and myself the internship program the CMIT program now is probably one of the most challenging things that I've ever done in my life This thus far it was an extremely stretching season during that time if you're interested in doing it I know I probably won't do a great sell on it but hear me it is good during that time, you learn so much about yourself and God begins to mold you and form you into a better follower of Jesus. It's also full-time ministry and it's not a call that should be taken right So two to three months into my internship, I began to feel squeezed and I started to feel the weight of it. I began to sense this Feeling of being unworthy, of being in the wrong place. I began to have imposter syndrome. I don't belong here. I started to compare myself to the rest of the team because the reality is of all the people who were there in that room, whenever we met, I had made mistakes that those people, the people in the room hadn't. And it's not to say that they were perfect and it's certainly not a competition, But I had struggles and I had battles that no one else seemed to have. I was only, to be quite honest with you, I was the only one in the room who was struggling with a pornography addiction. To add to that, I was severely underfunded. One time I brought in $300 for an entire month and that was all I had to live off. And I began to start doubting God's calling in my life. I had just started dating Lexi just a couple my, months prior. And I shared a little bit. I had screwed up my past relationship. And so I felt like I had to get everything right. I had to be perfect. I was constantly just walking on eggshells. I felt that as if I messed up just once, everything is going to crumble. If I mess up once in my internship, I'm going to get fired. If I mess up once, Lexi's going to give up on me and she's not going to want to date me. If I mess up, all of my funding is gonna go away. God is gonna punish me and I'm just gonna fizzle out and be a failure. And I hit this really, really low point. And then one day as I'm spending time with the Lord in scripture, I'm trying to find answers, at least find comfort. I come across this passage and I encourage you to please read it with me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And when I read that, it wrecked me. It absolutely just moved my heart in a way that I hadn't before. When I read it, I read it as, For I am the least of the interns. For I am the least of the team members. For I am the least of the small group leaders. I am the least of all the missionaries in the world. And on and on with any title that I can think of. I am unworthy to be called anything because I was addicted to pornography, because I had crossed physical boundaries with someone. I had lied about my sin because I was prideful. But I am what I am. I am an intern. I am a missionary. I am a small group leader. And by God's saving grace and mercy, I was who I was. And this was the kicker. God looked at me and he pointed his finger at me. My grace towards you was not in vain. He looked at me and he said, I did not regret pouring out my grace and mercy for you. He did not look at me and say, I wish I would have given that to someone else. God did not look at me and say, there's no potential. Only by God's grace am I here. And because of that, I can trust that he'll carry me through. If he can save me, a lying porn addict, No matter if your past seems too bad, or if you feel unworthy, or if you feel under-equipped, God can do something. He can make you new and use you for his purposes and his will. You see, the reason why he uses broken people is because he doesn't just want us to relay a message. He doesn't want us to regurgitate things that he's told us. He wants us to give the message that is so real to us because we've lived it that is so deep in our bones, that it's so passionate that it starts to bubble out of us. If there's anything you get from this message, I hope it's everything, (laughs) but if there's one thing that you can get out of it, our sin has put a huge gap between us and God and it's left us spiritually dead. And there's nothing that you and I can do about it. You can't earn it. You can't fight for it. But as Paul says in this passage, God loved us so much that he reconciled us to himself by sending Jesus to die for our sins. Jesus' death is the only reason. It's the only why. It's the only purpose. If Jesus says who he is, if he rose out of that grave 2,000 years ago, then it's all worth it. So tonight, there are gonna be two ways to respond if you'll stand with me. For both ways, I'm going to ask you to come to the front or the altar, which is really just this space in front of us. It's as a sign of surrender. If you're in this room, if you're all the way back in the beginning of the road, if you don't have the perspective that you need, or maybe you haven't stepped through the reality, if you don't know who Jesus is yet, then I invite you, make a public declaration. You don't have to step out right now. We'll all come out one time. But come forward and seek after Jesus. Step into the new reality. Let God give you a new perspective and what he sees in you. And then let him remake you. Let him tear down what was there. Throw away the old because behold, the new has come. The new has come. And the second way you can respond is maybe you're in here and you've gotten to know Jesus and you've been involved in small group and you've been coming to Kai Alpha for, for a while but you've been kind of sitting on the sidelines. I want to encourage you. Come up as a way to say, God, I will be your ambassador. I've made mistakes. I've done things that I shouldn't have, but God, use me. Here's my heart. Here's my will. Here are my dreams. Here are my, I don't have very much, but God, use me as one of your ambassadors. Because the reality is there are tens and thousands of people around you who need to hear about Jesus and they're waiting for you to come to them. They're waiting to hear the message of reconciliation that was written 2000 years ago. But you are the only one who can do it. So please, at this time, if you're any one of those two people, come forward, come forward, step out in boldness. Don't be afraid to say, yep, I want to do it. Come forward. Don't hesitate. But, anyways, the worship team is gonna lead us in one more song. And during this time, reach out to God. Ask him what he wants to do in your life. Ask him for new perspective. Ask him what new reality he wants to invite you in. So I'm just gonna pray and listen to this last song. So, Jesus, I pray, God, that you would do something powerful in the lives of these students. Jesus, would you bring revival? Through our restoration. We love you, Jesus, and we pray that you speak into the lives and hearts of all people who are here. So let's worship you.